Right then, okay. Schluer, check. Iron Brew, check. Bovril, check. Oh, this is gonna be good. Three types of lasagna, obviously, check. We are all prepared for the sitcom Christmas party to end all sitcom Christmas parties. It is, of course, the Peep Show themed sitcom club Christmas special. This is gonna be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Doors open. I think that's our first guest coming in now. Why? It's Lapsed Cat. Hello. I should point out you are a little early to the party. There's not actually anybody here yet, but that's okay because somebody's going to be first. So, no, it was actually yourself who suggested that we talk about Peep Show this week, was it not? Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's it's one of my uh, well, certainly one of one of my favourites that comes of the most of recent years. Anyway, so how did you first discover Peep Show? Were you a viewer right from day one, or did you discover it later on in the box sets or whatever? No, I kind of resisted it to be honest at first because I always used to get the Saturday Guardian and there'd be the Guardian Guide, which would have the TV listings. And right from when was it? Two thousand and three, it began. Right from I think the first episode, it was featured on the cover. And I didn't really know Mitchell and Webb. I don't know, the Guardian Guide usually on the cover has kind of way out, hip, rather sort of, I don't know, outre TV shows that it hypes. And I just felt, no, I'll avoid that one. But then it became like every other week, you know, they were on the cover. I kind of resisted. And then I think it was by the second series, a friend lent me, he taped the first series, lent me a tape. And I watched the first series, all, all six episodes right through, and I was hooked. Although... I've rewatched it recently, the first series and the second series. And the first series was very much the establishing series. Second series is when it really kicks into gear, I feel. Because, of course, there was that suggestion from creators and writers that initially this was going to be some sort of live action Beavis and Butthead type show. So you do get those like long Like a, a goggle, box, goggle box kind of thing, wasn't it? Was it kind of like them watching TV and commenting on it or something? Yeah, so you had those long scenes in the flat where. They're staring at the, I think back then it would have been a projection TV they would have had. Yeah, so a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the interplay is going on with that backdrop. And then slowly the lives of Mark and Jeremy start sort of taking over. And it's, yeah, it's not until you get to the second series where they are actually the principal focus. And it's very slow paced, Mm. very slow paced on first series in a good way. Yeah, because I think the first series they actually had the cameras mounted on their heads didn't they and then they did they after that did they stop doing that i think and they did it a different way i'm not quite sure i think you're right i think that yes i think they did i remember in one of the audio tracks and i'm trying to remember what, what the, the episode where mark meets april I'm trying to remember yes. that there was, there was something on the commentary tracks where they're saying i think it's ben armstrong they're saying about how there's one particular shot that they just really weren't happy with because the quality of the camera wasn't quite as good as mm-hmm. it normally would be, and it was only themselves who could spot this. But yeah, uh, just <laughs> little little sort of things like that. And of course, for the first couple of series, I think they also recorded it in someone's flat, whereas now, of course, it's a proper set. That was one hell of a flat. I didn't know that it was someone's actual flat. Was it just left as is, or do you know, did they have to... Because Jeremy's got an awful sort of orange half-painted orange kind of bedroom, and was all that sort of added, or was that how it came? I suspect that probably would have been added. Yeah, and unless they actually did just half-pin the wall, which I could quite yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> After Series 2 and what have you, it starts sort of developing its own style and, and what have you. So by this point, which particular characters are you most identifying with and, and perhaps empathising with? Um, I mean, Mark is... To me, the strongest character, my favourite character. I might cause a bit of consternation 
amongst Big Show fans by suggesting that I'm not a big fan of Superhands, particularly. I'm not even that big a fan of Jeremy. I mean, Jeremy's essential, obviously, but I'm a bit like Mark. I, I think I do find him tiresome at times, if you know what I mean? And exasperate. I think everybody who comes into contact with Jeremy at some point rapidly <laughs> thinks that about him. And Superhands is, I mean, look, he's fine in small doses. And to be fair, you don't really get that many episodes where he is centre stage. I don't know. I just find him a bit annoying. Johnson is one of my favourite characters. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that any of the characters in Peep Show would be strong enough to sustain a spin-off? Or would a spin-off be as doomed as most spin-offs mm. seem to be after a successful show? Well, they're mostly caricatures, I mean, particularly Johnson is a caricature of that kind of overweening, overconfident, you know, alpha male, if you like, businessman. Mark, possibly. But I think, despite what I said earlier, I think he really needs Jeremy to bounce off, to have Jeremy's his, what, yin to his yang or whatever. I don't know. I don't think... I mean, Dobby, possibly. Dobby could possibly have a spin-off series of her own, because I love Dobby. But I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? Who would you suggest? Well, I suspect that if they were to do it, I suspect that the obvious choice would be Superhands. But mm. I don't know if you perhaps get a bit tired of Superhands if it was just Superhands, Superhandsing all the time. Because he is somebody yeah. who comes in and his behaviour is just too extreme for Jeremy, let alone Mark. So if you were having that for 25 minutes at a time, perhaps yep. it would get a bit samey. Mm. Dobby's an interesting character because she's, as far as I can tell, she's sort of divided opinion amongst some of the fans because you know some people are saying that she is okay some people will be saying that she's yoko let's be honest and perhaps saying mm. that she's there as a character who's clearly been created to please a certain section of the audience mm. and mm. i don't know i mean yeah i think that she's a good character for the, the the series that she's in perhaps series eight i think that it's stretching point because i agree and i think that her first what was it series five she came in series six the first series that she was in proper was great. I think, and look, and again, we don't want to touch too much on the current series, the new series, but she turns up in series two and she is different to a degree as well. I really, I just, there's something about her. And I think the the first episode that she turned up, the first episode she appeared in, when she immediately took Jeff down a peg. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but you, what was that she was saying? Um, quiet, everybody, Jeff's making a joke. Jeff's making a joke, you know what I mean? And, and really kind of... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which Mark had wanted to do and never been able to do, you know, and she just did it immediately and brilliantly. And it's little things like that that I loved. I loved about that character. Are there particular, are there particular episodes or even just particular situations that appeal to you most? Do you like, for example, episodes where it's it's largely Mark and Jeremy in a claustrophobic environment, or do you like ones where they're out of their element? It's funny. I like it both when they go away. Like, for example, the canal boat. Was it the canal boat where they ate the dog? That episode? Yes. Um, the episode when they went skinny dipping. Episodes which get them out of their immediate environment, I actually quite like, perversely. Because very often in sitcoms, when they go on location somewhere, it can be all about the location and you kind of sometimes to the detriment of the jokes or whatever. But also, I do like the times when it's just Jeremy and Mark in the flat, whatever, bickering about the you know what to watch on tv or what food in the fridge or whatever essentially as i said they need each other they've got i mean it's not like a bromance like yourself and tilt have got you know it's more they need each other and i think if you separated either of them you know they would not be too dramatic you know they'd really struggle to cope i think jeremy definitely 
Mark, maybe not so much, but Mark needs someone like Jeremy to keep reminding him of his limitations as a human being, you know. It's odd how quickly downhill Jeremy goes when he eventually has to leave the flat and mm. lives off Johnson's credit card for a few days and then yes. <laughs> he finds himself back under Mark's wing because no one else will take responsibility for him. Whereas, yeah. yeah, Mark's somewhat more resilient. I mean, certainly that episode in the first series where he doesn't get the job after the interview and Sophie ends up getting the job and, he, yeah, he does sort of go to pieces very, very quickly. He after. does very quickly, almost cartoonishly, yeah. Is, is that the episode when he's filmed drinking beer in the park or something? No, I think is that, that the one was... Or? Different episode. Yeah, that's, that's different the episode one. with Nim, the, the homeless guy, and Nancy and what have you. Yep, that's right. No, the one when Mark loses it, when, when Sophie gets the job, that features, that's got that um, appearance by, um, what's his name, Reggie Perrin's son-in-law, who makes the beetroot wine as Ooh, the, as yes, the um, that's right. yes, yeah. psychologist. Yeah, he's trying to therapise me. Uh, there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're right, Mark's never quite completely in control. The thing about Mark that he's aspirational, he thinks he's cleverer than he is. He tries to sort of, you know, he's reading like the Anthony Beaver Stalingrad books like that. Yeah. But deep down, he's really, his tastes are more lowbrow than middlebrow. But he's trying to fool himself and, and those around him by reading these Simon Sharma books or watching Simon Sharma. I like the fact, because, I mean, Jeremy's alluded to it on a few occasions that, you know, you <laughs> You'd rather watch, I don't know, changing rooms or something in your pants than be <laughs> <laughs> than watching a three DVD when you're Morris retrospective or whatever. I mean, I've been like that myself. I've done that. I read Stalingrad, you know, the book, which was hard going. You know, maybe a page and a half every other night I read, and I suspect Mark was like that as well. He'd have it out prominently on display in mm. the. Yeah, in the living room or whatever, but secretly you'd be reading pulp novels or or whatever, lads magazines, whatever. I don't know. Well, this is, yeah, because this is a thing because he, Mark, in comparison to Jeremy, is well read and erudite, and and he is. I mean, there's, there's no get away from it. He's, he's an intelligent guy and he is quite smart. But I don't know how well he would get on if suddenly he was surrounded by multiple marks, just as two rumors cannot coexist. Mm. Then I mm. don't know that perhaps a whole room full of marks could really get on too well i think that it did become quite nasty within a relatively short space of time whereas a room full of jeremy's they would just really get stoned wouldn't they my favorite episode because uh, i know you're gonna ask me this uh, is series two and it's the episode when mark becomes friends with the new guy in the office daryl yeah steve edge yeah yes he's great he's absolutely fantastic and he's on the face of it, on the surface, he's, you know, he likes to laugh. What is it? They nail a sausage to someone's door. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Mark sees him as his first real friend for 12 years or something that he's made. But bit by bit, gradually, he begins to realize that, and I think the, his suspicions are first aroused when Daryl makes reference to Clarkson. I think he says like something like, Clarkson knows what it's about or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's his, like his sort of credo, isn't it? Clarkson knows. Yes, that's it. And then there's gradually sort of opening up and a bit of casual racism here and there, which then becomes a bit more blunt. Well, the, sausage, of course, the, sausage, to... incident, the sausage incident becomes suddenly uh, a racial... <laughs> the guy was German, was he? Yes, uh, the... yeah. Yes, right, yes, he was. And, of course, Mark was, <laughs> Mark was fingering the sausage when he was being interrogated by Johnson, which obviously means his, his prints are all, <laughs> all over it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I don't know what JLB's all... forensics department was like, but I, I suspect that probably wasn't <laughs> necessarily standard. But that also, I mean, it, the character of Daryl, I think, is a good character playing that sort of character, and the way that Mark then tried to distance himself from Daryl as well was very, very funny. But there was that which I suppose you would call the A plot. The B plot was Gog, who's Jeremy's. Well, I was going to say a kid that Jeremy used to go to school with who's recording music for adverts. And I really liked his character too, because I know someone like that who was a bit of a loser at school, shall we say, or at least unpopular at school, who then actually made something of himself. Mm -hmm. So I could recognize Gog. You know, I could recognize that character. And just that whole scenario with them going around to demand the money and, and Mark sort of in the background trying to calm everything down. I just thought it was all a very well-rounded, hilarious episode. So, you know, that would definitely be, be the one that I would watch, you know, again and again. Funny you say that, actually, because our own George will be along in a second, and I know that probably his favourite peep show line of all is when they're around at Gog's flat trying to, in their own unique way, intimidate him, and Superhands picks up the cereal packet and says, uh, that's a uh, <laughs> nice packet of crunchy nut cornflakes you got here, rather expensive, as I recall. Pours them out on the floor. <laughs> 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 that's also the episode when, when Superhand says um, what does he say all this crack is really Moorish you know he's at the, the barbecue <laughs> I mean I say I don't like Superhands I like him in moderation he's not like Swiss Tony from the Fast Show but I was always surprised that Swiss Tony got his own spin-off sitcom I, I never saw it I must admit but I always saw him as a very one-dimensional character and I see Superhands very much in that way whereas I think at least Mark and Jeremy have a bit more depth to them mm-hmm it's funnily enough actually I, I saw Swiss Tony and I was unsure about it at first and I thought yeah is this really going to stretch to an entire episode let alone a series but actually it, it came off quite well and they do put a bit more sort of flesh on the bones of Swiss Tony's character and his dynamic with the rest of the office staff and so on so yeah I thought that Swiss Tony came off fairly well uh, because being on BBC3 it's sort of got sort of hidden away No, nobody really ever saw it I mean it didn't get it really should have been on BBC 2 to be honest it should have been it should have had a proper slot on there but I heard an interview of Robert Webb recently and he described Peep Show and I'd like your thoughts on this he described Peep Show as, as being like men behaving badly but that they've been to university which I'm not altogether in agreement with because mm. both Gary is it Gary and who was Gary it and Gary Tony. and uh, Tony both of them were quite boorish mm. in their own way whereas Mark's quite straight-laced really and jeremy's obviously just out there but i thought it was an interesting comparison to make yeah it's very difficult to try and boil down a comparison between two shows to a single sentence mm. i suppose that yeah certainly men behaving badly is the more populist and popular of the two shows mm. and i suppose any show in which you've got two male leads often sharing a sofa is going to draw a comparison with other shows of that type so where does game on fit in then in that, I mean, Game True. On is a BBC Two show, so does that, does that mm. mean it's slightly more erudite than, than Men Behaving Madly? I don't know, but yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. difficult. I mean, to be honest, every time, whenever I hear Robert Webb's full name mentioned, it just makes me think of Robert's Webb on Channel Four. What's that? Robert's Webb. He did this clip show. It was like just like Robert Webb introduces 
clips of <laughs> okay. shit on the internet it's just like viral clips from youtube and sometimes you know when you see a listing and you think i've got a funny suspicion that they came up with a title for this program first and then, and then built the rest of yes. it. well you know you know categorically that's what happened in this yeah yeah don't really want to you know rank one higher than the other but i'd probably say that perhaps robert webb has slightly the edge as an actor whereas david mitchell mm. is much more comfortable on the panel shows for example, mm. and, and being a version of himself, say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, that, that episode I mentioned previously where, where Jez goes feral with his next credit card, there's really good little details in that about he just manages to convey with his appearance and just the way that he's <laughs> blinking in an odd way. He can, you can sort of establish yeah, how long he's been away from the flat and how long he hasn't slept for and so on just little details like that yeah he's very good at that yes mark mark losing it or mark i mean mark only really does stupid things or can be coerced into doing something stupid shall we say if there's a woman involved i think so he will go that extra mile do that really crazy thing if he thinks he's got a chance with whoever it might be sophie dobby whoever but generally speaking mark reins himself in so david mitchell doesn't have to act as much i guess as as jeremy it's interesting actually that occasionally they play about with your expectations and so you get a lot of comedy these days which is the comedy of embarrassment and in those kind of situations you know you know you're going to get various points where you think okay here it comes this is going to be the bit Mm-hmm. where everybody then looks at their feet and goes silent and so on. And mm-hmm. you get instances like in Peep Show, that episode where the staff of JLB have all been you know, locked out and told, okay, company's done, you're out on your own, what have mm-hmm. you. When mm-hmm. Mark gets this idea about doing the sketch with Dobby and, and having like the Hitler moustache and what have you, <laughs> while, while he's describing this, you think this there's only one direction that this is going to go in and it's going to be a room full of people absolutely aghast not a single person will be laughing at this it's going to be oh god this is going to be sweaty pants and actually it isn't it's fine it, it actually it, it goes over really well and people laugh at it and what have you and you're thinking whoa hang on a second I wasn't expecting this and of course there is there's still later on there's going to be a point of uncomfortableness but I like the fact that they're willing to sort of mess with yeah. your expectations there. that's very smart <laughs> Last thing I'd say, we just mentioned April, the the episode when Mark goes to, is it Dartmouth University that she's at? Yeah. And Peter Capaldi is the professor. Fantastic. I mean, obviously Peter Capaldi, much better known for something else these days, but, you know, a really, really strong one-off character. I think his character of the professor, that sort of insouciance, that sort of polite disdain that he exhibits is spot on for that kind of character. And yeah, that's another for me. That would be probably my second favorite episode. Yes, and it's interesting they actually give other characters, give them a little bit of depth as well. They're not just walk-on parts. So yeah, Peter Capaldi, his academic character, has obviously some bitterness towards the more populist historians of the of the time, like Simon Sharma. <laughs> Yes, that's <laughs> so, right. And, and some I, I, digs in it, Sharma. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's too far fetched to suggest that perhaps academia is is full of that kind of thing of people, <laughs> perhaps all sort of supporting each other's projects, and then suddenly when somebody gets a sniff of fame on television, it's like, oh, he's changed. Also, 
It's a lovely episode that, but it's also quite tragic, of course, because Marcus seems to be absolutely in his element. This is where he wants to be. Talking about the stuff that he likes, and he's around people who are interested in it as well, and he can have conversations where he doesn't get a blank look if he refers to a particular yes. person's yes. name. And yet he knows that this entire facade is going to come crashing down in about 12 hours' time. And it's, <laughs> yeah, But it doesn't quite, does it? It doesn't quite, and she genuinely likes him as well, you know, in the morning, mm, despite yeah. his behaviour. Yeah. Despite the phone call, the other cringeworthy moment is when he phones Sophie when he's in April's room and he, he deliberately phones Sophie to, I guess, to make her jealous. But, you know, as if April couldn't hear him having that conversation from the bathroom. But it's like she really liked him and it's a very kind of bittersweet ending, yeah. I think. Because that's the thing, because Mark's always so cautious and Jeremy will always be saying, oh, throw your caution to the window, what have you. Any time at all that Mark tries to be to use that ghastly laddish expression a player then yeah. instantly blows up in his face he's just not that kind of guy and so yeah by trying to do something like that by trying to do a smart arse trick or ringing Sophie and, and saying oh you know I'm, I'm having a whale of a time here without you and what have you of course it's not going to work he's not equipped for that kind of thing Jeremy could do yeah. that asleep but this is not Mark's area <laughs> I like the fact that um, Jeremy's band, or was it? No, Superhands' band was called Coming Up for Blair. Did you, did you, know, did you pick up on that? <laughs> I did, no, I didn't, I didn't. The one that particularly sticks in my mind is when he wanted to call the pub free the pedos. <laughs> <laughs> Always inappropriate. Always inappropriate. It's, it's nice that they get in so many little references to relatively far-flung items and, and names and so on so things like he wants to call his imaginary dog he wants to call him Carrington or they're <laughs> rifling through boxes in, in the house clearance and they find Frank Muir's autobiography just a Kentish lad yeah. Yeah, ex yeah. exactly yeah just just little things like that where I suspect that if that, if that was a mainstream sitcom you'd probably get some script editor saying I'm not really too sure that too many people uh, these days might maybe know who Frank Muir is maybe you want to change that reference maybe make it James Corden's autobiography you know and yes. before you know it, it it's ugh. but yeah it would have been focus grouped to hell or, or whatever or rewritten yeah absolutely Mark mentions something about Columbo. I love Columbo. He mentions, um, he says, talking about Columbo, and he said, Columbo shits on Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe there are online forums where people have battles between Columbo and Quincy fan fiction. I don't know, yes. but I'll ask, because I know Tilt's a big Columbo fan, so I'll ask him his opinion yes. of Quincy later on. I'll put that to him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much indeed, Lapscat, yes. for, for joining us. And help yourself to, there's a whole big steaming bowl of Brussels sprouts over there. Thank you very, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's been good. Thank you very much. Cool beans. And uh, yes, and have yourself a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Interesting how Laps, he's got that sort of voice that it's like, I don't know, I can't quite place it. He's on a Skype call. I think it's probably just something to do with the weather conditions or something like that. Anyway, lots of other guests have arrived, and we're currently mingling. wonder where Tilt's got to. Okay, so who is our next guest at the Sitcom Club Christmas Soiree? Why, it's our very own DCT, you know him as George Grimwood. Hello, how are you doing? I'm no bad, how's yourself? Good, thanks, yes, I see it's all very festive here, you've got your uh, tinsel hanging off just there. Okay, so Christmas... 
And are you a fan of the genre Christmas? Yes, uh, in certain contexts. I mean, I like finding niche elements of Christmas. For example, I actively seeked out a Christmas rockabilly compilation on Spotify the other day. I like I like the idea of finding obscure elements of Christmas that don't tap in necessarily to the constant things that you associate with Christmas, the same songs and the same generic stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I like it. And certainly when it comes to comedy, I like it when certain shows do their own spin on Christmas and various other holidays of the year. Well, funny you should mention that because the show that we're all here today to discuss of course does have its own Christmas special and a New Year's Eve special as well. Just going to alert yourself and the listeners to something up front. Today on the sitcom club we're going to be talking about Peep Show series 1 through to 8. We're not going to be dwelling on series 9 to any large extent because we appreciate that some people might not have seen it yet. Some people might be getting it on DVD for Christmas or even the full box set. So you don't need to worry about any spoilers. We're not really going to be discussing series 9 and actually as we're speaking just now we've not even seen the end of series 9 so it's all quite safe. You said to me off air a wee while back that you thought that the Christmas episode of Peep Show, which is the last episode, or the penultimate episode of Series 7, I think it is, you thought that actually would have made quite a nice conclusion to the, the show overall. Yeah, I felt that if you had had maybe some resolutions in that particular series, so certain things were wrapped up prior to that episode in regards to their relationships with their partners at the time, uh, for example, but uh, I, I think it would have made quite a nice rounded ending because you end with Mark being quite firm and and also taking control and bearing in mind his family are referenced a fair amount uh, throughout the series and when you meet this somewhat domineering father a lot of things start to click and make sense about Mark as a character. Yeah I think it would have made potentially a nice end point for the series but only of course if there had been episodes that preceded it that had wrapped up other loose ends. And yes, his father was very convincing, isn't he? Clive Medicine, he's very good in that role. Yes, and I think it certainly emphasises the strength of Mark as a character in that suddenly just certain things start to click in regards to his behaviour and, and his weaknesses as a character and, and his reluctance to persevere in life because he's always had this domineering father figure and for the most part a family that just haven't respected him hugely okay well let's look at a broader aspect of the show overall so mark and jeremy they do appear to be chalk and cheese to some degree but it's quite obvious that they need each other because they wouldn't be staying together all these years i mean they've got years before we've even seen them together but they've been together at dartmouth and so on it's a bit of a pointed question perhaps an open question it is a question that's for sure why do mark and jez need each other do you think I suspect that when their friendship began, it was probably because Jeremy relied on Mark for very basic things, perhaps, or could basically use him as a way of getting something else. You know, Mark had the biggest telly or something like that. You know, it, it's that kind of vibe, you know, and that's that's very much the, the impression you get from the get go is that Jeremy makes full use of the fact that Mark has this nice big television and there's a lot of accommodation going on. But I think the reason Mark tolerates it is because he needs that chalk and cheese relationship with someone because otherwise it's just him in his strange mind. And we've seen examples both for Mark and Jeremy that when they're separate from each other, it just doesn't work out. But at least they've got each other. I think as illustrated in the wedding episode, when they're sitting in the car together, having gone into this endeavour 
in the worst way possible and and between the two of them have more or less lost a lot of respect uh, from the people around them that you realize that they've got the same kind of weird that's the thing that they may be very different on the outside but they share the same idiosyncrasies and yet at the same time they're not the kind of people you necessarily expect to get on i mean aside from the perspective of the audience that being an interesting dynamic it also shows that the reason they need each other as characters is because they bounce off each other in terms of opinion and i think that's reflective in real life as well i mean i think when you've got variations of friends from different backgrounds and you've met them in different ways and so forth interests are different with one person you could be speaking about a and then with another person you could be speaking about b when you try and mix those things up for the most part it doesn't necessarily always work but if you are a friend if you're a good friend with them it doesn't really matter what you talk about because it all just works essentially and and if there's anything that is considered a conflict then you either add to it or you or you try and prevent it and you do see that in the rare moments that mark and jeremy do help each other out on a very base level there is that affection between them and i think the comedic moments are perhaps from when when they do conflict with each other because in the very first episode for example mark does humiliate jeremy by playing his terrible demo tape to the next door neighbor tony and they sit in his room and laugh at it and jeremy catches them but then mark does try to make amends later on he does feel bad about it and i think that more or less applies to the fact that above friendship mark desperately wants a, a female companion and so he's willing to sell jeremy down the river to do that <laughs> but he also becomes fully aware that he can't get away with that and he knows his limits and to a point and when it's when he doesn't and more comedy ensues it's when you see mark later on saying i've got dune on dvd and and cake in the fridge and all this and Sarah Lee chocolate cake there you go oh, want some of that now maybe we can have that later after we've uh, tucked into the or oh yeah no it's it's in it's in the freezer it only takes an hour to the frost so get stuck in great well I'm, I'm sold so yeah he does try mark certainly tries more i would say than jeremy does to look out for the other one and jeremy is far more vindictive and childish in that respect you mentioned there about mark's attempt to seduce tony which is really that's never gonna happen is it i mean that would be from mark's point of view particularly i think it'd be a terrible relationship it'd be an awful pairing and not necessarily to the extent where he would be compatible with tony but what is it going to take for mark to let's be honest about it man up because so many times mark loses his nerve he's lost his nerve in situations with sophie and with dobby and so on and just in the office generally he needs a good kick up the arse he needs something the interesting thing is that when he's a father later on he says very calmly to jez about how he enjoys being a father and how even though he's got this sort of calm exterior he says if you were to make a grab from now i'd stab you it does seem that i suspect that in the case of baby ian i think that he would have some inner steel and what have you but by and large he needs to grow a massive pair of grapefruits and quite urgently i don't know i kind of feel that he's always had that confidence but it's a case of when he does try his luck it 99 percent of the time fails and so it then leads him down back towards the path of 
not doing anything and, and knowing his limits, not taking a risk. But actually, if you look at Mark and Jeremy, for the most part, Jeremy kind of goes with the flow, but takes, I would say, far less risks than Mark, because Jeremy's far less self-aware, so a lot of his actions aren't really risks as such. They're just, he's just doing it because he goes with the flow, whereas Mark is very aware of his limits, and so I actually think he takes more risks in that respect. And we hear from his inner monologue a lot of the time that his reasoning for doing so. It's only when the outcome more often than not turns out to be flawed for whatever reason. For example, when he gets accosted by some muggers, and I must admit, I mean, that was one of those episodes I found actually quite hard to watch because I've been mugged in a similar fashion where, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of violence involved, but you feel completely helpless by it. And there was a slight inner monologue for me when he reacts in the cinema and slaps him over the head, one of the muggers who happens to be in front of him. And I think that confidence, for example, comes directly from the fact that he's with Sophie. We later see that same confidence come out with Dobby, if I'm not mistaken, at that Christmas one. Well, the Christmas one is actually where he he really loses his nerve, isn't it? Because when his dad says, can you not you know, muzzle your, your girlfriend up. And he's saying, right, I should be saying something right now. This is the point at which I should be saying something. And here I am, and the moment's passed, and I haven't said anything, and everybody on the table is looking at me, waiting for me to say something. And he doesn't. And eventually, yeah, he stands up to his father and what have you, but, you know, the moment is sort of passed then for him to do the decent thing. Isn't there an inciting moment that actually leads him to do that final stand of defiance? I think it's more... I mean, Dobby has left by that point, and... It's now really for his own benefit. I think it's more the fact that he's been trying to keep the afternoon going smoothly, and now the afternoon has not gone smoothly. Dobby's left, and he can sense that there's something going on between his sister and Jeremy and what have you. And so I think he thinks that the, the day is a lost cause by that point. So he might as well feed his turkey into the second-hand shredder, because what's he going to lose? Yeah, I suppose. I just feel that a lot of his actions are far more bold than we give him credit for, I would say. For example, I mean, he gets involved with trashing the office. He gets involved when he nails a sausage to the door in another episode in in the office. He's not... That's another example, though, of him not really standing up for himself, isn't it? Because he knows that what he's doing is wrong, but he's just so glad to have another friend that he goes along with this. Anybody else would have just said to Steve Edge's character, like, what's your game? Uh, this is inappropriate, whatever it would have been. But he doesn't stand up. And he actually says to Jeremy, doesn't he, at one point, about, you know, he's confronted him and then he has to admit later on he didn't confront him at all. And he has to get Jez to sort of shoo him off from the front door. It's interesting to see that Mark is empowered. I don't know if that's the right word, but empowered by the people around him to to be motivated and to be inspired to be confident in himself and the only person who grounds him is Jeremy because Jeremy is up in the clouds for the most part and I think Mark feels a slight sense of control over him and I think that's the thing I think when Mark is around people who are either easily influenced or easily influential he can function better not necessarily for the better but he becomes more proactive even if it doesn't necessarily turn out for the best. So, for example, Johnson is someone he aspires to be or be involved with at one point, but 
at the same time, he's not necessarily the best role model for Mark, but at least when he's around, he can burrow out some confidence in himself. When Sophie's around, and when Sophie's sitting next to him in that cinema, for example, he feels more compelled to take action and slap the guy over the head, even though he doesn't know when to turn off the cooker, as it were, and then says, look, I've got this knife, and just comes off. We know why he's got it, but obviously Sophie doesn't know the full story, so it just comes off as and it, you know weird, and it creeps her out. And, but So then when you invite an element such as parenthood, it can potentially ground the character in a way that it didn't previously, because now as a father, as you say, he's he's got a reason to... Not a reason to live. He's got someone there that essentially allows him to start over because it's a new innocent life yet to be inflicted by misery and drudgery and limitations of the world. So I think that was a nice developed move for Mark as a character. But yeah, in terms of manning up, I I do feel that he's actually constantly performing acts of defiance throughout the series. It's just a case of not knowing when to put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, I suppose that the final scene in the very first episode, where he's initially been unable to fend off the Neds, as we would call them up here, the youths, who are just annoying him. And he then goes from being bullied by them to chasing them down the road of an iron bar. And you think there's going to be something in between those two that would be more suitable. Perfect example, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that's in the first episode, because that really does illustrate what moments of defiance he's capable of. Mark is a volcano, and when he erupts, he really does erupt. And of course, Jez, later on down the line, he sort of says that to him, look, you're not going to get angry, are you? And that Christmas episode we're talking about, where he says, I think he says to Jeremy, okay, so, you know, turkey? And Jez says, no, you're getting turkey. And straight away, Mark's off and one, just absolutely blistering him with his seething anger about how you had one job, Jeremy, you had one bloody job to get a turkey, and you've forgotten, you've ruined everything, you've ruined Christmas and everything else, and Jess has explained actually with a joke, turkeys in the fridge. I don't think that'll do Mark too much good in the long term, I think he needs to try and, Mark just needs a nice equilibrium, and whereas, yeah, he seems to be sort of constantly veering from angst to anger. And no middle ground. Let me ask you this, right, because I'm not one of your actual musicians, as you may know, but I get the impression that Jez has got some talent in the field of music, but not as much as he thinks he has. Perhaps Jez would be better as a member of a group rather than trying to lead the group. Quite often he'll find himself having disagreements with superhands and so on. I wonder if he'd be better placed actually just with with a task in hand. You know, he he really enjoys that little short-term PR gig that he's got at the music company, which of course he then goes and spoils because he's sleeping with the his girlfriend but he does seem to sort of thrive in that sort of atmosphere where he's got a task and he can just get on with it jeremy is someone who has the ability to settle into a job but he has also that niggling aspects certainly in his inner monologues where he really doesn't want to and for the most part he's driven by sex in a different way to mark mark is really just as you say seeking some kind of stability Whereas Jeremy hasn't yet kind of figured out the difference. And I don't mean that necessarily in terms of relationships, because when he goes fully blown into a relationship, he is a very devoted person, but at the same time deeply 
misled for the most part. And I think that's the key element is that he is misled a lot. He's misled by Superhand. He's misled by the people who employ him. He's misled by himself in terms of what he thinks he wants and then realizing he doesn't want it or realizing that he's not capable of coping with it. And he has a very fluctuated approach. His character can go between being very spiteful to devoted to the point of depression in, in terms of when he's we've seen him devastated after relationships and obsessive and without a purpose, without a space. And it's, for example, when he's been involved with various groups that are essentially, well, cults, for example. He's just trying to find his place in life. And I think that's the thing. He Jeremy is in need of an administerial role in a creative space. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's not creative. It just means that he can't put it in one space at one time. He's someone who has abilities, but is yet to identify them. So in terms of honing that creativity, it would be more, would be more beneficial for him to just work around other creative people in order to identify exactly what he's capable of and what he's not capable of, perhaps. In terms of his abilities, you know, what his talents are, I must admit, I've always struggled to kind of identify them as much as I would say Mark, but I think with Jeremy, I think it's just a case of, yeah, when he can figure out some kind of purpose in his life, and when he can find some kind of meaning, and he's not necessarily having to rely on other people for that as well, because I think he relies a lot on Mark, uh, very much disturbingly in the same way he would rely on a relationship, a sexual relationship, I should say. And so he needs to have that independent factor and stick with it. Do you not know, think that Jez, it's a very, very fine line because Jez is capable of plenty of immoral acts and we see quite a variety of them over the course of the series. But he does have a conscience nonetheless. And I suspect that if Jeremy didn't have a conscience, I'm not saying that all salespeople don't have a conscience, don't misquote me on that, but I suspect that if Jeremy was more focused perhaps, I think Jeremy would be a very good salesman. He's got the gift of the gab and he can also fake sincerity very well. And I could very well see him in a position where if he was just say, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to go into sales, going to make my money and what have you, then yeah, I think he could peddle bullshit very easily. But I don't think, for whatever reason, even though he's capable of all manner of despicable acts, I don't think that his own moral code would really allow him to do that. And if he knew that he was just selling shit, or worse, if he was selling snake oil or whatever it may be, then I think that he'd feel uneasy about that. Yeah, I think he doesn't want to be part of any system. But at the same time, he doesn't want to lead either. He wants to be part of something that's just easy and simplistic and something that he enjoys. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. As a salesman, he could be great, but I think it'd be something that he'd rather sell himself than necessarily sell for anyone else. And what do you reckon his ideal job as a salesman would be? And by that, I mean, do you reckon as a salesman for the music industry? I mean, what, what, what do you reckon would be his best job role? I reckon that he could probably do quite well as a PR guy in the music industry. So he is a promoter, he's pushing different acts, he's trying to get whatever acts are in his portfolio, he wants to get them on to the Graham Norton show or Jonathan Ross or make sure that you know they get a nice plum spot on Nick Grimshaw's show, whatever it would be. I think, yeah, I could see him doing that. I could see him just being a sort of mover and shaker. And he'd always sort of entertain ideas about 
all this is preparation. All this is preparation for his own big reveal as a musical superstar. And so he'd see it as sort of training for his big coup d'etat. But of course, that's never going to come. But yeah, I, I could see him doing that. But I think that he himself would then derail that because he'd be thinking, hell, I'm more talented than, than any of these bloody people. I should be pushing myself out there. And so he'd probably then turn up at some sort of exhibition or conference or whatever it would be where he's supposed to be promoting the acts which his employer, his record company, is acting for. And yet I suspect that he would then start slipping in references to his own music and possibly leaving CDs of his own work behind, as Mark does, of course, where he's leaving business secrets of the pharaohs behind when he's going on his little sales gigs and what have you. So, yeah, I could see him derailing that quite successfully in a short space of time. But I think that would be a good niche for him. I think that that would probably work. Because he has got good musical knowledge. When they're playing the game with Dobby's friends, in series eight you know when you've got like the pyramid game and what have you you've got a good description you've got to then come up with the name i mean himself and super hands probably come up with about a dozen different names in the space for about 30 seconds so he's got good musical knowledge and he should be able to put that to some use yeah and i think through that description as well of that particular job i think that sums up quite well the main difference between mark and jeremy mark needs to discover his freedoms and jeremy needs to discover his limitations and through those developments, they can both grow as characters. Jeremy needs the control. Mark needs to let go. But also at the same time, there is also a point where, you know, they have to keep the volume button at a certain level as well. So out of series one to eight, because that's what we're concentrating on today, what situations do you think find Mark and Jez are their happiest? I mean, as far as Mark is concerned, I would argue when he finds himself at Dartmouth Uni. You know, a second time round, so to speak. First time round, he was doing business studies. He didn't want to do it. This time round, here he is, in inverted commas, studying history. And even though he knows that the entire facade is going to come crashing down the very next day, he's really in his element there, isn't he? But is it real happiness, though, if he knows? It's like the equivalent of him going to a, a dancer and it's the illusion of, of allure, knowing that actually he's paid for it, I suppose. It's that kind of impression I get there's only real happiness in Peep Show when it comes to moments of realisation, perhaps, I think. And one of the big moments, I think, for Mark and Jeremy together as well is when Jeremy becomes the voice of realisation, the moment of truth, at the point that they're lost in the woods when they go to the Quantox. I, I, I particularly like that line in there, nobody dies in southern England. <laughs> it's complete bullshit, but it's also quite comforting. <laughs> that particular episode has a lot of the two characters getting lost, bonding through it, ha almost having the space and time to reflect really gives them an ability to develop in that episode, by the end of that episode. So I think in terms of happiness, real happiness, I mean, should come from not necessarily knowing that, that something bad's about to happen or all kind of trying to simulate happiness necessarily. I'm not sure if it's the same. I think the moments where Mark and Jeremy are at their happiest, perhaps, are when they learn more about themselves, and by extension, we learn more about them. Even though we see both of them in their element when they're in relationships, for example, it's only really when they're on their own together that I think the happiness is relevant. So, even though they've just completely and utterly sabotaged the wedding, for example, um, Mark and Sophie's wedding, Mark and Jeremy sit in that car, and they're not happy, but 
at least they're not on their own experiencing it. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. There's that nice little line when Sophie has come round and then she's gone back with Jeff and Jez says to Mark, so are we going to sit in the tent and eat dearly? Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. And yeah, that is what's going to happen. They're going to sit in their living room in a tent and eat dearly. And they're not going to enjoy that. And they're not happy about that being the case. But that's their sort of comfort blanket. And, and each other, they are each other's comfort blanket to an extent. Exactly. And I think the moments we see the most are them trying to simulate happiness. And it's, for example, when Mark is in the bowling alley toilet with a teenage goth smoking pot. He says, this is it. This is what people do when they're having a good time. I mean, he, <laughs> he can't imagine himself doing it. He's just, he's elated because he seems to be experiencing what normal people experience. But it doesn't feel like actual happiness on his part. It's more of a case of, it's just nice to dip his toe into that world for a split second. Yeah, definitely. When Jeremy and Mark are together, they're not necessarily the happiest of moments, but they're certainly more self-assured and reassuring to the audience perhaps as well that the worst possible thing might have happened but at least they're in it together that's the thing about the dynamic of peep show i think as a whole is that because we have these inner monologues none of it feels one-sided because we know what's going on in their mind and we kind of know their motivations for doing what they do there's no black and white when it comes to how they feel or why they're doing something like when it comes to them doing something that makes them happy because you've heard their inner monologue you're not too sure as to how sincere it actually is. And is it a case that they are going through the motions to just feel something? Or are they genuinely happy? Mark wants to be respected. I think he wants his knowledge and his interest in certain subjects to be acknowledged and to be respected. I don't think that he's particularly fussed about being the next Simon Sharma on television. Although I think if the opportunity came up, I think he'd probably consider it but whereas Jez wants to be that person on you know entertainment tonight or whatever it may be he wants to be like the absolute focus of attention to see himself on the front cover of magazines and so on and the interesting thing is that at least Jez has an outlet it's not that Jez is obsessed with celebrity culture so it's not like he's one of these people who just wants to get famous by any means because if he was then Jez would have a plan to go on Big Brother right now you know, so at least Jez actually has some sort of path in mind this is an odd way of phrasing this question, but I'll put it like this. Would you enjoy having Johnson as a boss? I'm going to say no, only because we've seen his decline. I think if we'd seen him from the get-go, I think he would be a difficult boss to work for because of his high expectations of people, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think throughout the series, we get more and more indications that not everyone's happy with the way that Johnson performs as a boss. And even Mark, by the end of it all, begins to realise that Johnson has his own issues. And it would be quite interesting to hear Johnson's thought process. And I, I suspect on one of the DVDs there may very well be a scene with his thought process played out. Because that, that's one of the best things about the DVDs is that you get these extra scenes where it's played from the perspective of another character and their thought process which actually gives the whole moment a whole new meaning. And sometimes I do wonder what it would have been like if we had had the thought process of everyone. Not necessarily everyone, but more people involved. So Sophie and Johnson, and you know, obviously that would have potentially been more complicated, but it certainly from a writing perspective, I'd imagine that would be incredibly complicated because obviously you're having people react to different characters on one level and then another level, and 
A goes to B and C and C goes to D and B and it, yeah, it'd be a bit chaotic. Um, but I, that's something I'd love to see. Johnson as a boss, I think he would be inspiring, I would suspect, initially at least. But yeah, I think when you get to know him, you'd probably realise that he's actually quite mean. He's very self-centred and quite ruthless as well. Not hugely that different from Mark or Jeremy in that he will drop someone in it very quickly if it means potentially getting his end away. Yes, I think, yeah, I think that's very true. And it is interesting. It's nice that he's not a two-dimensional character. When he finds himself trying to set up his own company, for example, and he's trying to work out how to install a printer, things like this, it just really isn't him. He's, he's clearly somebody who needs people under him. He's somebody who is better suited to being a boss than an employee. Obviously, we see Mark's appreciation of some points of Johnson's personality. But also, I suspect that Jez is also slightly envious of some parts of Johnson's self-confidence and his gift of the gab and so on. I, that's the thing. I think when we initially meet Johnson, he is who Mark wants to be. But then, as it becomes more apparent and Johnson develops as a character throughout the series... We perhaps see that without his power and without his control, he is slowly drifting towards a Jeremy character. And he knowingly does not like that. It starts to really eat at him that when he loses his power, he's not capable of functioning. And that kind of makes Mark more of a powerful character by comparison at that point, because Mark has been living like that all his, all of his life. Yeah, it's almost as if Johnson is taken down a notch and can't function. So it opens up this whole question about life roles, character roles, you know, in terms of status and how comfortable can a character be outside of the status that they've been set. And Johnson is meant to be on the high part of the, the employment chain. And as you say, having people under him, work under him, doing things for him, giving orders rather than taking them, having the best car and taking advantage of anyone that he can and so forth but in actuality when he's stripped of that certainly makes his character more interesting because it's interesting to see how he reacts to that as a change in his life but yeah it opens up this whole question of status in comedy and changing that i mean just to divert very momentarily but for example no one really wants to see del boy as a millionaire and that's why when it returned for those final three episodes, they stripped the money away from him. They want to see them struggle again. But the dynamic of that would have been, oh, now he's had a taste of that life. In theory, the characters are, you know, have developed. The characters have a slightly different perspective than they did previously. So would you say overall Peep Show is an ideal sitcom for the 21st century? This search for meaning in an era where there's, there's not really any job for life there's less rigid class structures you know the, the social norms are always changing and so on so you know a lot of people sort of find themselves trying to work out where they fit in so i mean is that just bollocks or or is there some truth to that i think that's absolutely fair yeah because it's not just a case of the changes and developments of the 21st century that it reflects but also if you look at the development in technology, communication, social media, that to have characters where you're listening to all of their thoughts, if you look at the last 20 years or so, it's all been about privacy and what we can share and what we can see of other people's. And so 
to have two characters where you're hearing their true thoughts is a great reflection on 21st century technology and communication. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a perfect dynamic in that respect. I think you know, in an age where you can send someone an email in the you know click of a button, you can send them a message, you can send them a photo, and then and then the darker side of that where people get hacked and people's information comes out and suddenly your perspective of them changes or you're perceived differently and all these different aspects that add up to a somewhat scary uh, world it's comforting to have a sitcom like peep show where it's warts and all and it's not afraid of allowing the inner monologue and the outer action to collide so yeah not only does peep show represent the 21st century sitcom, but it also represents 21st century characters. And the dynamic between Mark and Jeremy illustrates that yin and yang of freedom and limitation. And just finally, we know that there's going to be an absolute ton of Peep Show fan fiction on the internet. So if there isn't already, certainly as soon as Series 9 is concluded and everybody's caught up with it and so on, there'll probably be Series 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in fan fiction form already on the internet. So... If you can't beat him, join him. Could you imagine a scenario that you would like to see Mark and Jeremy in, one that isn't already covered by an existing storyline? I'd like to see them abroad, but in an actual setting. I'd like to see Keep them... Show film? I know it's a little bit cliche. After everything I've just said, I know it's a little bit cliche. Characters A and B go on holiday. But actually, to see them outside of the everyday life of Croydon and maybe venture out into... Just see them, I don't know, not not necessarily in the outback or in Ibiza or one of those standard places that characters tend to end up in in sitcom films these days. But maybe maybe a, in New York, for example, or something a little bit out there and a little bit absurd. It could be good, it could be terrible, but it's it would certainly be something I'd be interested in seeing would be placing the characters that I mean they're very rarely in their comfort zone where they should be but if you place them outside of their comfort zone and beyond that it'd be something different to react to of course we have had a bit of a renaissance recently of sitcom big screen spin-offs so do you think that maybe a peep show film will be on the cards one day well I know that they have said from the get-go that they don't have this isn't a spoiler I don't think they don't have any intentions of just killing off the characters. Uh, they'd like to leave it open so that they could return down the line in uh, kind of whatever happened to the Lightly Lads fashion. So, yeah, I mean, you know, a Peep Show film in five years' time, seeing where they are then. But I, I sincerely doubt that will be the case. I strongly suspect that it'll be something like 2022 or something, or it'll be, it'll be an anniversary. It'll be either the anniversary of Channel 4, or it'll be however many years since Peep Show aired, but it'll be sort of five years on or something like that, where... We'll get either a, a mini-series peep show, you know, oh, we're going to check in on Mark and Jeremy returning and so forth. I suspect there'll be some kind of a mini-series or even just another whole series. I'd be intrigued to see if they would refer it to series 10 or if it would be peep show plus 5 or whatever. You know, like they did with This Life, for example. They did This Life plus 10. I think, and I'm, I'm not calling it and I'm not speculating, I've made an effort of not seeing any of series 9 until the last episode's out so I can have a bit of a binge. But what I personally would like to see that is a final shot. I know this sounds trite, but I kind of like the idea. Like a point of view from the child's perspective or something. Or it ends on a point of view shot from the child as if it's the whole cycle again. You know, it's this doesn't apply just to Mark and Jeremy. This applies to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, uh, yes, yeah. So maybe Mark and Jeremy looking 
down at the child. So it's from the child's perspective, uh, Mark and Jeremy are in the same shot. So it's not a case of this isn't their perspective anymore. It's our perspective. But they're looking at us, but they're actually looking at the child and the child's looking back at them. And then it's sort of going, oh, well, you know, we're all in this together. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it sounds a bit trite, I know. No, I like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you very much indeed for stopping by at our Christmas do. Feel free to mingle. Like I said, the Sara Lee is in the freezer. And uh, yes, indeed. And a merry crimbo uh, and a happy near to yourself. Yes, and I'd like to say to you all, not just to my fellow sitcom clubbers who um, are still turning up in their dribs and drabs, I see, but uh, but also to all the listeners as well. I uh, hope you all have a merry Christmas and a happy new year. And um, I've had a great time. Thank you very much. Now, I spot somebody there. I don't quite recognise him, but I recognise that voice and accent. Hey, Glasgow smells better. Why, it's from the Sublime's Ian Hepburn. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm no bad. I'm no bad at all. So are you all set for Christmas on this Christmas Eve Eve? I am, yes. I've uh, stocked up on Skoll and Eggnog to uh, drink the week away. You know, I've got a bumper box of Ferrero Rocher and Cadbury's Rosie. So, uh, yeah, I'll see you in 2016. I'm going to basically ensconce myself in Carry On Day on ITV3. But each to their own. It's better than those public domain channels because, you know, once you've seen one Buster Crab, you've seen them all. Now, I'm going to whisper this so that nobody else at the party hears this, but I understand that you're not actually a big fan of Peep Show. I mean, well, rather, it's not really something that you ever really got into. Yeah, it's not that I'm not a big fan. When I've watched it, I don't mind it. It's just, I, I think I've enjoyed other stuff that Mitchell and Webb have done together, and I've enjoyed stuff that Bane and Armstrong have done better. And I've watched it, but not a lot. I've sort of dipped in and out. I watched the first season when it was on and, and quite enjoyed it, and then kind of just dipped out of it and... You know, I've, I've I've seen the odd episode here and there since then, enough to sort of be cognizant of what's going on. But I wouldn't say it was kind of on, on the top of my Christmas list. What we're going to talk about here, instead of actually going through the episodes and what have you, I'm going to ask you a couple of things about the characters themselves and the kind of characters that they are supposedly based on, you know, in real life. So first of all, now this is a sort of sensitive area, and I know a lot of people who fall into this category. So I don't want to offend them. And you could say this about Mark and Jason Peep Show, certainly. Boys who don't like sport. Now, there was always like a little group of them at school, wasn't there, who, for whatever reason, just didn't watch football. And they weren't rugby guys either. They just, for whatever reason, they just thought that sport was some sort of curious waste of time. Now, I never really got that. I never really understood that way of thinking. But it certainly applies to Mark and Jez. How, how do you approach Male folk who don't like sport, I suppose it's more socially acceptable nowadays, but it still leaves me a little bit puzzled. I think that might be a Scottish thing as well. It's certainly a West of Scotland thing. You know, you just view everybody that doesn't look at the sport with favourable eyes with vague contempt. I don't know. I, I, see, that's the thing. I kind of got the impression that certainly Mark would be the sort of character that that pretended he did, that would sort of almost kind of like the fascio's you know, football dad type character. It'd be one of those guys who sort of said he'd watched the game or had watched the, the rugby the night before, talked about the cricket because he'd heard it on the radio, but didn't he wasn't actually watching it with any sort of interest, but just was enough to, that if anyone ever asked him because he might feel threatened, he would be able to say, yes, I saw it and I knew what happened. Yeah, it's interesting because Mark has actually tried to feign interest in sport occasionally. I mean, in Series 8, he attempts to play football, which does not go well, for example. But yeah, I can imagine that Mark would be the kind of guy who would perhaps enjoy a day out at Lords, but wouldn't really have a clue what was going on. Whereas Jess, I think, just gets confused about the world in general. So it's no big surprise that he has difficulties sort of understanding like specific rules of sport and what have you. 
But no, I mean, I think that personally speaking, I don't know how this happened, but I think that when you're younger, I think if you don't like sport, then you tend to get categorized, perhaps unfairly. And for whatever reason, I got categorized like that and I love sport. So I think I've had a bit of a raw deal. Maybe I didn't make enough of my sporting interest. Maybe I should have, you know, had uh, like an Adidas sport bag, rather dull grey one that I had that didn't have any branding on it. Parent of uh, Adidas Beckenbauer's, that usually seems to do the trick. (laughs) One thing I know you do like is the old Doctor Who. There was a character in Peep Show called Gerard, and he's very much into his sci-fi bits and pieces and his role-playing game and so on. Now, I want to forward you this quotation, and then I'd like your opinion of this, because I can sort of identify with this. Mark and Gerard have purchased models, not dolls, of Franklin D. Roosevelt and Stalin. And Gerard insists on getting the Cyberman involved in the action as well. Now, Mark asks, would a Cyberman attack Roosevelt? And Gerard replies, he's a Cyberman, Mark. He's devoid of all human emotion, concerned only with the preservation of his own race. Of course he'd attack Roosevelt. (laughs) Now, first of all, I've got to ask, do you agree with that statement? Or do you think there's sort of like room for manoeuvre? Do Cybermen have feelings? Do they have shades of grey in their emotional makeup? More silver than grey, to be honest. Yeah, I I think that's a fairly safe statement. It sounds very reminiscent of various drunken conversations I've overheard at at Doctor Who conventions in in the past, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's that kind of of person. Because obviously David Mitchell and and Rob Webb had had been in Doctor Who fairly recently, did voices on uh, one of Matt Smith's episodes a couple of years ago. And I'm not quite sure where their their own loyalties lie as, as performers. I know certainly that they've sort of popped in as cast members, but um, I'm not sure if they've ever sort of expressed a view. Well, Mitchell's the sort of kind of person you can imagine doing it. And I'm surprised, actually, that Bain and Armstrong haven't actually written for it since it came back, because it is this sort of the talent they've dipped into. Muffet, certainly, Stephen Muffet, the current showrunner, obviously with a, a comedy background, doing things like Joking Apart and Chalk and so on. And his first series went quite heavily for, for comedy writers, had the likes of Simon Nye and Richard Curtis writing for it. And Bain and Armstrong seems a very odd... Oversight, you'd think that they would have been tapped up to write for Who by now. So how do you see a Baden Armstrong Who going? I mean, do you think it would be perhaps one that would be more centred around light relief? Perhaps maybe a Christmas episode? A Christmas episode would be a very good fit. I mean, the ones that they have had from comedy writers before, I mean, Simon Nye's episode is one of the standout episodes of that year. It's an incredible piece of television and um, a very powerful and emotional one. Amy's dream about um, when she's sort of caught between two worlds. And Richard Curtis's one is a, a, a massive exploration of depression. It's, worth, it's an incredibly cheerless and very powerful piece of television. So I'd, I'd actually imagine they'd maybe play, do something more like that. Also, obviously, they've got experience writing for Capaldi with The, the Thick of It. And indeed, Capaldi popped up in Peep Show at one point, didn't he? He did right indeed. Thing. Yes, he did indeed. Many mm-hmm. moons ago, though, when he was a lot younger looking. Oh yeah, um, I do yeah. remember him being in it. So yeah, I mean, I, I could imagine they would be they would have a handle on how to write for him and write for his rhythms and so on. I can imagine them doing a far more serious episode than people might give them credit for. But there are as writers, they're very good at taking mature themes and content and bringing it down. I mean, something like Fresh Meat. I'm a huge fan of Fresh Meat. I love that far more than Peep Show in terms of Ben Armstrong's work. And I think it's a show that really sort of gets a great grip on unlikable characters and makes them far more likable than they should be, which is obviously somewhat the opposite of Peep Show, where you've got people who are just unlikable and, and stay unlikable. Funnily enough, Fresh Meat just passed me by entirely, so do you think that this would be something, as a Peep Show devotee like myself, do you think that Fresh Meat would be something that would appeal to me? I would hope so. I really loved it. Um, 
The final series, I think, is coming up pretty soon because you keep seeing all the signs all over the place for where they're filming. They're actually filmed just in the pub around the corner from me. But it's a, a very clever show. And again, a lot of it is that shared experience of university and that sort of early days of being at university and what it's like being shared digs for the first time and living away from home. And It's not the sort of the stereotypical student life young ones type take of it. I don't know what people at the start were trying to peg as all oh, this is of the 21st century young ones. It's really not like that at all. It's a very, far more sort of measured show, even for the, the level of caricature you get with someone like Jack Whitehall in it. And they, what they brought to it, I think, was a real sense of sort of reality and place about it. It felt like a believable university. It felt like believable students. There's a real touch of reality about what they do. I think that's maybe one of the reasons I struggle with Peep Show at times is that at times it doesn't feel real. I know that not even taking inside the gimmick of the, the sort of the camera angle stuff, but some of the stuff like Mark's wedding and, and so on, and it's all quite, it all feels very contrived, even for a sitcom at times. And it's a, a real, I kind of really struggle to get a handle on that side of it. Yeah, it's funny because I think that I'm, I'm probably guilty sometimes of taking a view about a show just from first viewing, you know, just like in the first half an hour of it or so. And for whatever reason, I really got into Peep Show when it began. Now, it could be that other shows have passed me by entirely because I just haven't got, I don't know, I haven't got a handle on them initially. So, for example, something like Teachers. I saw some promotional material for Teachers and just took a dislike to it. So didn't persevere with it. Did you see any Teachers at all? I did. I watched the first series because um, I was a huge This Life fan. I was watching a lot of stuff that they were all in. So Andrew Lincoln obviously was a box ticking for me, but I really enjoyed Teachers actually. Again, in some ways almost quite like Fresh Me. It felt like a real setup. I mean, there was this kind of weird sort of flights of fancy and almost slightly hyper-realised moments within it, but it still feels like quite a grounded location. It's a sort of real location. It's a realish cast of characters. I think it's the same with, like I said, with Fresh Me. I think it's, it's everyone's sort of identifiable. In some cases, it's slightly more archetypal than others, but everyone at least is identifiable. You know that kind of person from your youth. You know that kind of person from your being at school. You know that kind of person from being at university. And that kind of makes, I think, more of a connection, I think. And I don't know if it's maybe because they're, I almost would say because they're less hands-on. They don't write as much of it as they do with Peep Show, for instance. But they, it's very much their show and their showrunners. And they've got a tight grip on the characters with something like Fresh Meat. So it's a, and it's a very character-led show. With Peep Show, I, I don't know if that's maybe just my perception, but it just never feels character-led in the sense that, you know, the, the two are such unlikable characters, you can't believe that people would hang about with them, or, you know, especially someone like Superhands, you, you would think would be dead by now, you know, it's kind of that kind <laughs> of, some, someone would have killed him, let's be honest, by now, because he's so irritating. And it's kind of hard to have that connection at times with it. What, what about from you, Gary? I mean, because obviously you, as you say, you've been a fan of this for Peep Show since day one. Why do you think it's one of those, because it is quite a divisive show, and I know a lot of people who, who don't watch and a lot of people who, who absolutely adore it. Why do you think it's grabbed people in a certain way? Because it has, the fans of it are absolutely devoted fans of it and, and, and we'll, you know, there's a reason why it's got to, what, season nine now and 10, mm-hmm. 11 years on. You know, it's, not many sitcoms in Britain get that kind of innings. What I particularly like and initially liked about Peep Show, which is what got me hooked on it, was that it felt neither contrived nor was it unnecessarily harsh or dark because you get like middle class sitcoms I suppose you would call them things like well my family isn't on right now but you know something of that ilk I phoned up a friend of mine one Friday evening and he said oh I wasn't expecting you to call just now I thought you'd be watching my family (laughs) and I was like why and he says well you like comedy don't you and to him that was like just obviously you do it's it's like it's like a non-sports fan saying oh were you watching the rugby without any specifics as to exactly what was being discussed. 
No, I couldn't be doing with things like that. Also, wasn't really a fan of things like, say, Nathan Barley. Couldn't get on with that. And so this little show turns up and it's set in the real world because I tend to prefer stuff that's contemporary rather than anything which is either far-fetched or sci-fi or, you know, far away in the past or whatever it may be. And also, I really liked the vehicle. I really liked this idea that you can hear it inside their head. And it means that it opens up so many different possibilities as far as characterization is concerned because part of the reason perhaps why Mark and Jeremy can appear to be utterly unlikable is because you can hear what's in their heads but if you were to strip all of that out like a sort of Garfield minus Garfield if you were to strip out everything that they think and only hear what they say presumably they wouldn't come across half as bad. You can compare it against the American remake, the pilot that leaked on YouTube fairly recently with um, mm. Johnny Galecki, where he actually did that. He stripped away all the, the gimmickry of the, the UK version. And it's just a fairly trad sitcom. It does kind of take away... I don't know if it maybe just makes them more engaging because of that, or if it's the performers or whatever. But then, like I said, I, I like Mitchell and Webb. I, I, you know, I remember the, the stuff they used to do for um, UK Play. Was the, what was it, the Mitchell and Webb look? No, what was the one before that? Oh, now, now you're going back. Yes, I know what you mean. Now, because it, it was that Mitchell and Webb sound was Radio 4, and then look was TV. Was it... Was it Thing? Wasn't that much on the Thing? Or thing that... or Experience or something like that. But they had a show yeah. on UK Play that was a, it's a very, very cheap proto version of that much on web look. And it was really, really good. I mean, if you go back and watch it now, and you can find clips on YouTube and so on, David Mitchell looks about 13 years old in it, which is quite <laughs> distracting. Um, Robert Webb hasn't changed the slightest. His hairline is also terrifyingly quite high up, even back then. But it's weird seeing them and, and the characters they're playing in that watching that against something like Peep Show, you kind of see why they were put into, they got those two to play. Obviously, they, they knew the writers and they've worked together for a long time and friends and so on. But there's a lot of characters within that sketch uh, format that are quite similar in terms of personality of Jez and Mark. And it, it seems like a natural fit. And that's one of the reasons why I thought I'd quite enjoy Peep Show. And then I was really surprised I didn't because I'd, I'd seen them in similar roles and in similar situations where you thought, okay, well, this is just taking that and extending it, as Ian Lee would say. But it just didn't seem to connect for some reason. Are there any other particular highlights over Christmas that you are looking forward to? Or indeed, are you going to be doing your own thing? You're going to be box it binging? That's what they call it these days, isn't it? Netflixing? Uh, <laughs> Netflix and chilling, I think, apparently. <laughs> <It's>, um, uh... <laughs> is there a version of that for Amazon Instant Video? Yes, outlandering and being on your own. <laughs> I think you will have to explain for the uninitiated. No, let, just, them, let them Google it. <laughs> but I don't. Has anybody ever Googled it before? People might just get mixed up and Google Highlander and say, "Oh yeah, good film that." I remember that. I'm hoping that actually the Google Outlander they'll come up with the terrible Sean Connery film and not the, um, the terrible uh, TV show. But as I said, I've not seen the Radio Times yet, so I haven't had a proper look at the schedule. I'm quite interested to see um, Professor Brainstorm. I really enjoyed the first one, and, and you know Harry Hill getting a chance to do wacky Harry Hill stuff is always good. It takes kind of back to sort of the Harry Hill's um, fancy stuff on, on TV a long time ago, that kind of sort of slightly silly um, approach to, to, to comedy and, and family comedy, which is, you know, God knows there's not enough of, frankly, on TV at the moment. So I'm looking forward to that. And obviously, you know, being Scottish, I'm looking forward to watching Only Excuse and complaining about how it's not as good as it used to be, which is apparently required now as an act of parliament if you're Scottish. So um, that, that's something to do in Hogmanay. Is he going to be doing Dennis Law? <laughs> I wonder if he'll do William McIlvanny, given that he passed away, actually. Given that the show is based on a William McIlvanny show, only a game, it's kind of um, yes. interesting timing. Will he, will he slip something in, as it were, um, at the end? 
I've got no, I must include with this. I'm going to go back to what we were saying earlier on about the Cybermen. Now, I once put this theory to my brother. He was saying about how the Cybermen, you know, cold, ruthless killers, just killing machines, you know, they don't stop for anybody and what have you. And I said to him, I think you're forgetting about the 16 time world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. Now, if he's got the backing of the four horsemen, you can take whatever configuration of them you wish. I think that, you know, he's in for a fair shout. Now, my brother just, just looked at me as if it was bonkers and said, forget it. The Cyberman's just going to cut through him like a hot knife through butter. But what do you think? Do you, do you think that he stands a chance? Do you know what? I've actually just started thinking about this seriously, which is a really bad sign. <laughs> um, well, Cybermen have an allergy to gold, and Rick always had the big gold belt. So all he has to do is rub that at the Cybermen, and he's, or in their chest, because rubbing at them would just sound filthy. Um, <laughs> and he's sorted to take them all out, and, you know, four horsemen win again. So that is fabulous, of course. I mean, they, they, they come back the next day in a dusty finish, so it'll be fine. <laughs> Does it have to be referred to as a gold belt? Presumably, this is without any NWA involvement. Virgil's one dollar belt. <laughs> Wrestling superstar Virgil, as he likes to be known. Well, thank you very much indeed for dropping by at our mm. Christmas. No, Friday. thank you. Thank you for the volivants. Very lovely. Help yourself to a twiglet. They are proper twiglets. They're not Mister Bean twiglets. No, oh, can't eat twiglet. They make me violent. Really? <laughs> it's a joke from space. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get a sitcom reference in there. For goodness sake. Oh, I, I give up. Uh, <laughs> reference oh comedy, eh? Well, comedy's the thing, isn't it? But anyway, thanks very much, Ian, for taking part. And and help yourself to the matchmakers, both mint and orange available. Where the hell's Tilt got to? He's supposed to be here by now. Now, who is our latest guest this time? It is... Sitcom Club's own Boggins drove here. Hello there. So, would you say that you were a super fan of Peep Show? Were you somebody who started watching it right from day one, or have you come into it sort of later on? I've watched it right from day one, really. At the start, I wasn't so much of a fan, but in the later series, the last couple of ones, I've been watching it pretty much every episode and really become quite into the story with uh, Mark and Jeremy and what's gone on with their lives over the last couple of years. How would you say you had a, maybe a, a favourite particular series or even like a favourite period of time as far as the last, what is it now, 12 years is concerned? Because they go through different phases and sometimes Mark and Jeremy will find themselves in different situations. So have you got a favourite sort of era as far as Peep Show is concerned? I would say about two or three years ago, I think that's when it was at its best because... In the last series, before the current one, that it got too entwined with the um, sort of love triangle between Mark, Jeremy and Dobby, and it really lost its way, I thought. And if that was going to be a finite series, it really disappointed. The series which I do like is involving them, Mark and Jeremy, um, on the boat eating the dog. Yeah, that was quite a memorable episode. <laughs> Well, we're going to have our little soiree here, largely Series 9 free, because we know that some people might be getting it in Santa's stocking this year and what have you. But I would agree with you that Series 8 was a bit of a dip in quality, but without giving anything away, I would say that Series 9 is really back to its best. Series 9 is a definite improvement on Series 8. What we'll do then, I'm going to ask you a couple of queries, first of all. I'm going to ask you to put Mark and Jeremy on the couch. First of all, as far as all of the characters are concerned, you know, Mark and Jeremy, anybody else at all who's a regular player, which character of Peep Show would you most like to know 
as a friend and why i'd like to really know uh jeremy because he's the one which comes up with the unexpected ideas which sort of enliven life because i think that mark would be too boring myself i would be more like mark but with jeremy you don't know what's going to happen and that's what the excitement is really not knowing what he's going to do next and conversely which peep show character would you least like to have as a friend and why I'm torn on this one. I would say Johnson, really, because his attitude seems fastidious, but he's a hard taskmaster, he is, and demands almost perfection, and I don't think that I could really live up to trying to be perfect, because who is actually perfect in any ways? Now, do you think that knowing... Superhands would ultimately be an enjoyable experience or do you think that the prospect of getting himself at your door at three o'clock in the morning cold turkey and never really knowing when that could happen or for example not knowing whether he's going to bring around a poisonous snake to your social gathering do you think that that would put you off him or would you embrace that in the same way as you say well Jeremy keeps things interesting so I'd really embrace that. It's like you said with Jeremy, you don't know what they're going to do. And it is that spice of life which keeps everything interesting. Because otherwise it can be same-ish, you know, doing the same things over and over again. But if there is that there, it always keeps you on your toes having to think. But you know that something good will come out of it. Why do you think that it is that Mark and Jeremy are best buddies? Do you think it's a case of opposites attract? I mean, as far as we understand it, they met at Dartmouth Uni. But initially, I think, yeah, I think maybe they're seeing something in each other that they haven't got and appeals to them. But there's going to be something deeper than that. There's going to be something which has kept them together all of these years. If you're forced into a situation, say like with university living, you don't know who you will actually meet there. But of course, if you're forced into that situation, you've got to learn to live with someone. But of course, you can appreciate what their foibles are, how they actually go about life itself. That really, Mark and Jeremy, you could say opposites attract. But also, that the two parts of them become a sort of whole person. Mark's side, which is not so much boring but workmanlike side but you've also got Jeremy's fun as well both of their sides have to come out when needed but they would make as good a whole person really with their personalities okay so let's talk about peep show episodes then so do you have a favorite episode or perhaps do you have like a favorite style of episodes you prefer ones which are concentrated on mark and jess themselves or perhaps ones where they find themselves outside of the comfort zone what what for you makes the ideal peep show episode i think it's where it's mainly concerned with mark and jeremy when they're on their own there are episodes where they're out of their comfort zone but it's where they get into a real mess and they have to get out of that situation like going on to the boat and basically barbecuing the dog and things like that and they have to get out of that situation and it's similar to the episode where um, 
Mark is going to get married to Sophie as well. He doesn't really want to marry her, but of course they're in that situation, so I have to go through with it and see what happens, because at least they can try and think out a way to get out of those situations, and I always find that those type of things are the best comedy which can come out of the series. And again, is there any particular type of episode that perhaps you're not so keen on? I My own view about Series 8 was I thought there was too much of Dobby's friends, for example. I found them quite dull and I didn't think that they brought a lot to the situation and I wanted to see more of Mark and Jeremy, but I don't think there's any such thing as really a bad peep show episode, but I mean, there are certain situations which lend themselves more than others too. But, uh, really, I was going to say that I sort of agree with you there, you know, whereas series I, you know, with the love triangle between Mark, Jeremy and Dobby, it just did not work. Where you've got their sort of relationships with other people, it only works if it's funny. And it's when you're concentrating on almost a deep relationship, which Mark and Dobby had in uh, series 8, it didn't work. It's got to have that fun and it's got to have those twists and turns which make it funny because if you're just going to concentrate on that, you've got a whole different sitcom altogether. You know, it might as well be a spin-off. Now that brings me to my next question because we know that Peep Show as a long-running series has come to an end but we expect specials down the line. But can you see a Peep Show spin-off? And if so... Who is the star? I can only see uh, a spin-off really with Superhands because he's got the characteristics to be able to sort of maintain a spin-off. You can dive into his world. You can find more about his character because quite a lot of it is shrouded in mystery. Even his name, you can theorise over it and say, oh, well... Hands might be his name, but it could be another meaning. Was he handy as a boxer? Was he a burglar? Was he uh, something like that? There's plenty more there which you can draw on, and you can draw into his world. I mean, what's his uh, family like and things like that? Because there's plenty more situations which can come out of that, and... It would be good to see him go on his own, really. Speaking of supporting cast, are there any particular characters that have appeared now and again? Perhaps some characters who have appeared throughout one particular series you'd like to have seen more of as the show has progressed? Really, with the core of the series, you know, it concentrates on Mark, Jeremy and Hans. It should be that the other characters should come in and out of their world at brief intervals, they shouldn't really have more than a skimming of the surface of knowing what these people are like. Otherwise it upsets the balance of the show it does. Mark and Jeremy, they are the main protagonists and at least Superhands is in that situation and has got more into the situation as the series have gone on that he's been more accepted by Mark to be able to be in that friendship and really that's really allowed it to sort of blossom over time. Now where do you see Mark and Jeremy from this point onwards because bearing in mind that we're not discussing what's happened at the end of series 9 so we're going to take it maybe from about say series 7 or 8 thereabouts so we know that for example Mark has his son he's 
estranged from Sophie, he's still got feelings towards Dobby perhaps, Jez, he's got his life coaching but he's not entirely happy what he's doing. So where do you see the two of them down the line? Do you think that they're best suited in some way if they were to be apart? Do you think that they're sort of not necessarily helping each other too much by always being together or what do you reckon? What, what do you think for them long term? I don't really think it would be good for them to be apart in their friendship really. But they really sort of need each other, they do, to sort of bounce off. But as far as Mark, you could see him almost having another relationship, but sort of moving away from the people who he has had relationships with. Because you could almost say that um, the relationship with Sophie turned toxic, and the same real thing happened with Dobby as well, so... He would have to find and search for himself a relationship, but it's also the case with Jeremy that he does need something concrete to settle down with, because otherwise he's still going to drift around. He's got his life coaching, which he is obviously good at. He might believe and think, well, it's a sort of lies which he's telling his clients, but, of course, he knows that it can work for him if he can actually find something more concrete. And it can be very, very, very lucrative. Finally, if somebody's never seen Peep Show, what one episode would you select to introduce them to the show? Maybe the aforementioned uh, Burning Dog episode, just to introduce them into this strange sort of surreal world where almost anything can happen you definitely get the personalities of mark and jeremy via just that whole sequence of events you get mark's morality and jez's sort of um let's say fair attitude well thank you very much indeed boggs for joining us at the sitcom party help yourself to the stuffed olives we have both regular and silver skin pickled onions available in the dip bowls, so enjoy. Okay, yes, I'll do enjoy myself. Thank you very much. Well, it's time to turn over the record now because this is actually the end of podcast one. Because this party is just so flaming big, we couldn't do it all in the space of one MP3. So, turn over to side B, load up part two on your MP3 player now.